You're listening to the Metro LA Podcast, an official podcast of the LA International Church of Christ. Good afternoon, good morning, or good evening, Soul Sisters. I don't know what time you're going to be watching this, but the beauty of uh, doing things virtually and and uh, having things pre-recorded is whenever you are, you know, then it, it it'll be great. Um, I was asked to do a lesson on a woman in the Bible to teach on a woman in the Bible. And as I started thinking about that, I was thinking, okay, you know, I could talk about one of the, uh, I call them the biggies, Ruth, Esther, they're big because books are, are written, they have books named after them, or Mary, the mother of Jesus, I consider her another, you know, biggie, major figure in the Bible. And there's plenty of others. Deborah, she was a judge. She she led things. I mean, she was amazing. And there there are countless other women in the Bible that are, are really uh, amazing to be able to teach on. But as I started to think about this and study this out, there was one that hit me that I thought, I don't know if I've ever done a lesson on her. And I started studying some things and I said, that's who I want to talk about this time. And so I'm going to be talking about, believe it or not, um, the woman who was caught in adultery. And uh, it was fascinating being able to study that passage of scripture, as all scripture is fascinating. So before I get into it, let's have a prayer. Father God, thank you so much for your word and just for so much that it teaches us in so many ways, Father, uh, no matter where we are in life, no matter where we are in our spiritual journey, there is so much we can learn and, and it just increases our faith to such an amazing degree. Father, I pray for all the people who are still suffering and going through so many things with COVID and uh, also the people who are sick or shut in. And Father, I pray that uh, I pray for all the things that are happening. There's so many different things going on in the world that are so challenging. Father, I pray that you would use us, um, use me this this morning or this afternoon, Father, um, in a in a way that uh, it would really be able to help all those out there as much as it's helped me. We love you so much. We thank you for Jesus and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So as I was mentioning before, um, I wanted to talk about the woman caught in adultery. And the reason why is because through studying this, um, I learned so much from her. What she did, you know, I learned from as well as what she did not do in this passage of scripture. And um, why don't we start with reading uh, about her in John chapter eight. John chapter eight, beginning in verse one, it says, Jesus, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives at dawn. He appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? 
They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to him, them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. And in this story, all these people we see in the beginning were gathered around Jesus. And this was after the Feast of the Tabernacles. So there were still great crowds there in Jerusalem at this time. And so Jesus, with all the crowds, he starts teaching. And as he is teaching the crowds, there is an interruption. You know, and interruptions happen when things are important. When there's an interruption and something's going on, all the focus usually goes to the interruption. As I was thinking about this, it reminded me of a, of a story, something that happened to us one time. And Doug and I were away for maybe a few days in Vegas, you know, and we, we go on getaways every now and then. And so we were in Vegas at one time. And, and one of the things we like to do is the things a lot of people like to do in Vegas, go eat at some of these buffets. Now, I don't do it every night I'm in Vegas, but, you know, sometimes, yeah, we go and eat at those buffets. And those those buffets, they are massive in Vegas. So we found one. It was a seafood buffet. And I said, oh, that sounds great because we both love seafood. Let's go eat at this seafood buffet. And you had to wait online more than 30 minutes even to get into the place. And if you've ever been to one of these huge buffets, there, I think it, the dining room was about 30,000 square feet. It's huge. It's massive. You know, we got in and, you know, there's all different stations you can go to for different kinds of seafood as well as other foods. And, you know, we went and waited on various lines at the buffet, got all this food. And then, you know, as we got back to our table, uh, you know, I looked and I said to Doug, I said, oh, my goodness, I forgot to get shrimp. And shrimp's one of my favorite foods. I said, so I'm going to go back over there. And, you know, the shrimp station was way across the room at the, on the other side. And so I said, I said, I got to go get my shrimp. So I told Doug, I said, I'm going to go get my shrimp. I'm going to go way over there to get it. Um, can you can you watch my purse? You know, because sometimes it's hard putting food on your plate while you got a purse in your hand holding the plate. I said, so will you watch my purse while I go away over there? He said, sure. So I walked over to the other side, went there. I was waiting online for, you know, because there were some people in front of me going, getting all of their different kinds of shrimp. And, you know, as I was on the line, almost at the, the front where this food station was, there was a scream from the other side of the uh, the dining hall. And 
this woman screamed, help, help me. And people started running over to her to see what was going on. She said, would somebody help? And people got up from their tables and went over there and some people ran over and some of the people that were in line in front of me got out of the line to go see what they could do to help or see what was going on. Now, I was thinking, whatever's going on, I probably can't help. So I just went and, you know, got my food, you know, thinking I'll probably find out what's happening over there. And uh, but, you know, let me get my shrimp and go back to my table and, you know, see, you know, if I do have to evacuate or what's happening or what's next. But didn't seem like it. It it was probably that somebody was maybe strangling or something like that. I didn't I didn't know. So I got back to my table. And as I got to my table, I noticed Doug wasn't there. And and the people at the next table were standing up and looking in the direction of where the the commotion was. And I said to them, I said, did you see the the man that was here? They said, oh, yeah, yeah. He ran over, you know, when, when somebody was yelling for help. And I said, oh, okay. So I put my plate down and I noticed my purse wasn't there. So I put my plate down and I then went over to where all the commotion was. And sure enough, you know, um, there was a crowd of people around this. And sure enough, Doug was bent down over somebody and tending to him as a, a doctor. So and there were other people around also that happened to be nurses also. And because the uh, paramedics hadn't gotten there yet. And I saw right next to Doug was my purse. And so I went through the crowd also. And I said, excuse me, as I weaved my way to get through the crowd. And I whispered to Doug, I said, I'm going to take my purse. He said, OK. You know, so I, I got my purse and, and went back to my table. You know, when I got back there, you know, I, I said to the people that were around my table, I said, oh, yeah, that was my husband. He said, yeah, we figured when we saw that man run with a purse under his arm that He's probably a doctor, and that's his wife's purse. But long story short, the the amazing thing about this was there wasn't a focus on one thing in this huge hall, but when someone yelled help and there was an interruption, all of the focus went to that place, went to that area. And all of the people, even if they were eating, pretty much stood up to look over and see what was going on. Now, imagine what was going on here with Jesus teaching these people. All of the focus was focused on Jesus already. And then when they come in with this woman, then you can imagine how much more of a laser focus everyone just got on this woman. You know, with an interruption and this group of men bringing her in, the whole crowd, I'm sure, was just totally focused on this woman. And the interruption was a group of men that brought in this probably very embarrassed, you know, possibly scantily dressed. I mean, they they didn't seem like the type who had the character that would have waited for her to get herself together, you know. And they they storm in or push themselves in to get this woman before Jesus. Now, who are these people? Well, the scriptures tell us 
These are the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. Teachers of the law and the Pharisees. These were the religious leaders of the Jewish people. They were well-educated. They were well-known. They had a reputation of high moral standards. They had a reputation for really knowing the Bible, the scriptures. When you had a question about the law, you went to these religious leaders. That's who they were. Well, who was this woman? We don't know. Was she married? We don't know. I mean, she could have been with a man who was married. It says she was caught in the act of adultery. So we know one of them was married. How old was she? We don't know. Was she engaged? We don't know. What was her name? We don't know. We don't know any of these kinds answers to any of these questions. Okay. Did one of them even set her up to be caught? We don't know. Whatever you conclude about her is purely speculation. How did they even catch her? We don't even know that. But the law was very specific about adultery. You see, adultery was a capital offense back then. What we do know is that the law demanded that an accusation be a literal eyewitness to what was going on. You, you couldn't just say, hey, I, I saw her go into a hotel room with this man. No, speculation was not enough. There had to be a literal eyewitness in order to bring an accusation. And adultery must involve two people. Okay, the law is specific. Leviticus 20.10 says, if a man commits adultery with another man's wife, both must be put to death. Deuteronomy 22.22, the law did say if a man met a virgin, not pledged to be married, rapes her, he must pay her father and marry her because he has violated her and never divorce her. If he met a virgin pledged to be married and he sleeps with her, stone them both to death. You see, it clearly says adultery, which implied someone was married, but the law said they must be put to death. And the Jews thought that adultery was a terrible sin, you know, and there was this adulterous situation that they caught this woman in. And they said she was caught in adultery and she did not deny it. Okay, I don't I doubt if they would have hauled in an innocent woman before the Lord. Lord knows everything. So we can all agree she probably really was caught in the act of adultery. But the thing about it is, what about the other part of that law? Okay, the other part of it says that both parties to adultery must be put to death. Well, where is the guy in this situation? What about him? They could not have just caught her in adultery and not have caught him in adultery. Okay, he was also a partner to this particular sin. So the teachers, though, say they caught her in adultery. And then they get to the point where they say, okay, we caught her in adultery. We don't know where the man is, but the law says to stone her. And they asked, well, should we stone her, Jesus? Verse 8, verse 6, rather, it says, verse 5, In the law, Moses commands us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? 
they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So they say, well, the law says to stone her, and they're using this as a trap because they want to, they want to uh, ruin Jesus, okay? They want to trap him. They want to accuse Jesus. Well, what did they want to accuse him of? Well, they're asking, should we stone her, Jesus? Because you see, if Jesus says, yes, go ahead, stone her, she was caught in adultery, the problem with that was the Jews were under the Romans, and they could not kill anyone for a capital offense unless they got permission from the Romans. If the, if Jesus says, no, don't stone her, well, then they're going to say, but Moses' law said, yes, we should stone such a woman. So you can't say, oh, no, don't stone her because they would be violating Moses' law. And Jesus couldn't say, yes, do stone her because they were under the Romans and he would, they would need permission in order to do that. Remember, they had to get permission from Pilate even for Jesus' crucifixion. And so they're using this as a way to trap Jesus. There's no right answer. There's no correct answer in this thing. And what does Jesus do? It says, Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Their intent was just to trap him, to accuse him. Their motives were not right. Their motives were bad. They were not trying to just purge sin from the community, which is what the law said and why you did stone such a person. They came to profess respect for the law, to uphold morality, and they professed to want Jesus's advice, But what did they do? They were using this woman. She was just a bait for their trap. They might have set her up to go to bed with a man. We don't know that. They might have even paid someone to do that. We don't know. But someone probably knew something in order for them to be an eyewitness to this sin. And they were capitalizing on it at this time. They used her. They humiliated her. They embarrassed her. They had evil intentions and used this woman in an attempt to ruin Jesus. So Jesus bends down and writes on the ground with his finger. What was he writing? That's one of the questions that I'm sure we all will all want to ask him when we meet with him. It doesn't tell us. But as he is writing, it says in verse seven, they kept on questioning him. Now, you can imagine it as he sits down and starts to write. Probably a lot of people were wondering, what's he writing? Can you make out those words? What's that saying? And the focus goes on now what Jesus is writing. And so what do the Pharisees and teachers of the law do? They keep on questioning him, making the focus go back to Jesus. What's the answer to this here? Jesus, what do you say? What should we do? And as he's writing, they keep on questioning him. And they're saying, Jesus, what do we do? Jesus, should we stone her? Jesus, should we not stone her? Aha, we've got Jesus trapped. And sometimes you think about what must Jesus have been writing? You know, I I even thought maybe he was writing the names of these Pharisees and their sins. You know, like Noah, coveting, James, lust, Simon, um, impurity or, or whatever. Who knows what he was writing? We don't know. But here's what Jesus did. Jesus gets up and he says, let any one of you who is without sin 
be the first to throw a stone at her. The point is it doesn't really matter what he was writing. If it did matter, the scriptures would probably tell us. But what he does say is, if any of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. The law also said that if someone's caught in the act of adultery in order to accuse them, there had to be two witnesses. So there had to be two people that would have had to witness this. Deuteronomy 19.16 says, if the witness is malicious or if your heart is not pure and right, you do to the witness what is intended, what he intended to do to the other party. So motives do matter. Why are you really doing this? Why were these people really doing this? And Jesus got them to focus on before you pick up a stone, look in the mirror. You must be morally qualified. You must have a righteous heart. You must be without malice, no deceit, no trickery, no dishonesty. See, they wanted to talk about the woman. Jesus said, first, let's talk about you. He did not say, let her be stoned. He did not say you can't stone her. He said, he who is without sin, let him be the first to cast a stone. They wanted to talk about her sinful outward behavior. Jesus wanted to talk to them about the law and how it related to their hearts. He saw her sin, but he also saw their hearts. He also saw their hypocrisy. He also saw their evil intentions. I mean, compared to them, she actually didn't look that bad. Now, I realize, yes, adultery was still a capital offense. But there looks, it looks like there was more hope for her than it was for them in their religiosity. And she was caught in the act of adultery. It's enough to be caught in adultery, but to be caught in the act of adultery? But what was her response? The amazing thing about her is she did not deny her sin. So after Jesus said, let he who is without sin be the first to cast a stone at her, they start walking away. Verse 9 says, At this those who heard began walking away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus and the woman was left. The older ones probably because they were probably the wiser ones. And then it was only Jesus and the woman left. So what started out as a plan to trap Jesus ended up where they got trapped by Jesus. And then they all leave. And all that's left is her and Jesus. She had to face Jesus alone. And at the end of the day, that's going to be the situation. That's going to be what all of us have to do. We're going to have to face Jesus alone. And Jesus asks her, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she says. Here's one of the keys. This woman never said, what about the man? You know, I wasn't committing adultery alone. What about him? You know, it wasn't only me. They pulled me out of bed because I'm a woman. Is that why I'm the one that got hauled in? She didn't play the gender card. 
She didn't say, this is not fair. I was set up. They just used me as a way to trap you. Their hearts were bad. They were a lot worse than me. You know, besides, there might have been only one witness. Uh, the process was all wrong. It's amazing how sometimes we're confronted with our sin or we're confronted with things we've done wrong. And we could start focusing on the process instead of what we did and really what we should be thinking about, you know, and being convicted about, you know. In law, if I was defending her, I would completely blow out all these other issues by playing up the gender discrimination, the corrupt intentions of her accusers, accusers and all of this. But you know what? That's man's law. We're here dealing with God's law, you know, and if she was caught in adultery, you know, so where's the man? Um, Possibly it didn't even happen, but, you know, with God's law and Jesus knows everything, there's no point in trying to defend yourself. And she did not do that. And and under God's law, she's guilty. And she knew she was guilty. She offers no defense because she is guilty and she knows it. She makes no excuses, but she just waits for her verdict from Jesus. And to this woman, she has to know at this point that Jesus, this man, is different from all the others. Okay, even though I am in sin and I am guilty of a capital offense, he treated her with mercy, he treated her with grace, and he treated her with respect. The other thing to note is she did not leave when everyone else left. They all left. She could have left with all the other sinners who left. I mean, she knew she was a sinner too, but she did not. Why? Because she trusted Jesus to do what was right. And what did Jesus say to her? He said, then neither do I condemn you. And the thing is, he could have condemned her because he said, let him who was out without sin be the first to throw a stone with her. And he was without sin. She could have been condemned by him. She was caught in adultery. She could have been condemned by Jesus, but she was not. You see, every single one of us is like this woman. We all have sinned. We have all sinned outwardly with outward behavior. We are all exposed before God. We're all guilty. We're all helpless. And we're unable to change the condition we're in. A sinful condition, a a condition worthy of death, a condition worthy of going to hell. We've all been this woman exhibiting sinful behavior. But the other thing is, We've all been the crowd, too, condemned by our hearts and our own consciences in situations. Every one of us deserves death. And Jesus steps in and shows us grace and gives mercy. Every one of us has been on both sides. But how do we respond? Do we just leave and keep on doing what we were doing before? Business as usual? You see, that's what the crowd kind of did. Okay, they brought this woman in. Jesus uh, turned the tables and turned it back on them. And what did they do? It says they all just left. A lot of us, we hear message after message after message. Well, I went to church. I turned on the program. I heard the message. It was good. I experienced it. I moved by it. I felt a little bit of conviction. Now, let me just leave and go back and do what I was doing. And it does not change you. 
I don't know how many from this crowd were changed, really from the heart. We don't know that. What we do know is that they all left. Or do we respond like this woman who knew she was guilty and stayed to listen to what Jesus had to say to her? He did not need to condemn her. Her sin already had condemned her, but she was going to leave a different person from the way that she was brought in there. See, they wanted to talk about her behavior. Look what she did. He wanted to talk about their hearts. Look at what you did. He did say, neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. There is more to you, woman, than the sinful lifestyle. The adultery did matter. He never said to her, you know what? It's not your fault. The man came on to you. You've had a hard life. Everybody does it. Everybody sins. No, he did tell her, go and leave your life of sin. We're all going to have to stand before Jesus. But what response are you going to make? I attended church for a whole year before I changed. I knew I needed to respond. I knew I needed to change my life. I was, you know, considered successful, professional woman. And, and I was one of the people in the crowd, heard the message, sometimes convicted, said, oh, wow, I need to do something about it. But it wasn't until I really got convicted that you are not right before God and made the change from the inside out from my heart and needed to humble myself before God and really become a disciple. I wasn't as religious, but I had the same response as the Pharisees. Just let me get convicted a little bit and walk away and going back to doing what I was doing before. We all need to learn from this woman. My sin has condemned me. And because I am convicted, I will just wait for Jesus to tell me whatever I need to do. And here's the amazing thing. She never denies her sin. The amazing thing about them was they never admitted they had any. Which camp are you in? It's going to come down to you and Jesus at the end of the day. It's going to come down to just you standing before Jesus. Heard a story once that I'm going to end with and read. And what it said, and this is a quote from Mother Teresa, who I've quote quite a bit. People are often unreasonable, illogical, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish, ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are successful, you will win some false friends and some true enemies. Succeed anyway. If you are honest and frank, people may cheat you. But be honest and frank anyway. What you spend years building, someone could destroy overnight. Build anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, they may be jealous. But be happy anyway. The good you do today, people will often forget tomorrow. But do good anyway. Give the world the best you have, and it may never be enough. Give your best anyway. You see, in the final analysis... It is between you and your God. It was never between you and them anyway. What it all comes down to is this between us and God. And just like this woman, it was just between her and Jesus. And she waited to find out from Jesus, what do I need to do in order to change my life and be a different person? 
It's between you and Jesus. It's between me and Jesus. And that's what it's all going to come down to. Let's make sure that we have the response and we change, you know, so that we can live our lives in order to please him. Thank you. You've just listened to the Metro LA podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit MetroLARegion.com 